Welcome to another episode of Frontline Magic Podcast. In this podcast episode, we are talking to Dominic Mjertan, who is the president and CEO of Optus Bank, and he's also on the board for the National Bankers. We talked about how Optus Bank has generated wealth, building a financial empowerment for everyone by serving their community. In this episode, Dominic is covering topics like what are some of the unique challenges that minority-owned banks face, and how are the roles of minority-owned banks changed over the last hundred years? What are some of the things that Optus Bank is doing to support the community for generations going forward? Learn all that and much more in this episode. Dominic Mjartan, I'm president and CEO of Optus Bank, and I have the privilege of leading this really legendary and historic institution that was started about 100 years ago to help address disparities in the financial system. And to this date, that mission is sadly needed, but it's also thriving, and we're able to make some real progress. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Dominic. I'm really pleased to have you on the podcast. I know you're also on the board of the National Bank Association. Tell me a bit of what the kind of challenges that they are facing within your industry. The National Bankers Association is an association for primarily for minority-owned banks. And many of them are Black-owned, but also we have other banks. And they, they share a really cross-section of issues. But the biggest issue is how do you make sure that you build institutions that intentionally and successfully and meaningfully close the gaps that exist in our communities. Unfortunately, in the, specifically in the Black bank space today, we have only 18 Black-owned banks in America. At some point, there were over 100. And that's not necessarily a manifestation of the bank's viability. It's really a manifestation of the trends in the banking system combined with the really... Uh, tremendous impact of the racial wealth gap that still exists. So it's not just access to capital from entrepreneurs and small businesses and individuals. It's actually access to capital and opportunities for the banks that serve those customers. And so what the NBA does is very creatively and intentionally advocates on behalf of our banks to make sure that we become a viable part of the financial ecosystem and that we grow and thrive and really make tangible progress. The association has been around, I think, for almost 100 years now as well. So it's survived all the different crises in, in America and is really thriving today. So I've been in this space, this unique mission-driven banking space my whole career. And so the NBA is a, just a fantastic extension and then they asked me to, to join the board about a couple of three years ago. And that's been an amazing journey to, to build friendships and relationships with folks that have been doing, some of them have been doing this work for 50 years or more. Uh, so it's been a gift. It's been a gift to Optus Bank, but also me personally. And then hopefully we're adding some value the other way around as well. And talking about values, what are the key values that you give to your customers at Optus Bank? I'll say maybe if I can start by saying just a, a little bit more about what separates us, why are we different, and maybe even a slightly different question, and I'll get to your question more directly and tangibly, but it'll make more sense. Our, if our mission is to close the gap, where we start with, with our bank is, okay, what are the most productive ways that we can use 
a bank that may be defined in our world as a wealth building ministry that happens to have a bank, but we're a bank, we're organized as a bank. And so what we looked at years ago, even my previous bank is what are the key drivers of economic opportunity, particularly in America, because that's the context and there were some good data points around it. And what the research has shown that the number one predictor of one's ability to move up the ladder is actually net worth of their parents or their families. It's not higher education, it's not race, gender, or any other factors. It's the single greatest predictor is the net worth. Now, of course, all those other factors drive one's net worth to some extent, but, and that's frankly, that's the cycle we're trying to break. So we're trying to make sure that regardless of your zip code, your inherited privilege, you, the situation of your parents, or the, even the net worth of your parents, that you have a chance to live a healthy and productive life and improve it, improve it, move up the ladder. The whole concept of the American dream is what drives us, is how do we enable our communities and our customers to live a healthy and productive lives, regardless of where they came from. So if you're on a wealth building journey and you're just getting started, you may even have negative net worth. How do we make sure that we enable you somehow provide you the tools and resources, both financial and social capital. We know it's a lot of that has to do with social capital. How do we provide you the right resources? Uh, and if we can, can we connect you with someone who can? And so those are the, the core values of our bank are really focused on enabling our communities and our customers to move up the ladder, if you would, uh, to move up that. And then we, of course, we try to be pretty, pretty deliberate about, about the rigor with which we think about those issues. And so Research has also shown the the greatest drivers of net worth is frequently homeownership, entrepreneurship, and savings and assets. So if you go down our theory of change, we start with the mission, uh, with the big goal, and then we want to be very intentional, focus, okay, how do we accomplish it in the most productive way within our context? And in our case, it's entrepreneurship, homeownership, savings, and assets are the three key strategies that we deploy. Do you have an example or a story from up this bank with one of your customers or similar where you really have enabled that for someone? Yeah, we've had we've had many examples that I could share, but the most, I guess, impactful stories for me are those actually I had nothing to do with anything with them. And those are yeah. the ones that show up in our bank and tell a story that, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, this bank put me in business when everyone turned me. So, so we, ha we have a, a barber that's probably 80 years old today. And I've heard that story from him before. In fact, two of his sons now are in business, but he tells a wonderful story about 20, 25 years ago, no one would give him a chance and our bank gave him a chance. And now his family's net worth is substantially higher than it would have been. And, and so that's a just, that's a real tangible story that we see. But sometimes the best stories actually come from circumstances that are maybe even challenging for us. So sometimes we have some stories where we actually couldn't help someone. But through the experience with us, you will not find that story reflected on our balance sheet, on our income statement, but you will find it reflected in our community. And so we often, as our team reminds me frequently, we do a lot of work that sometimes never leads to a loan or a relationship, but sometimes it enables someone to go get somewhere else. And recently we had such example where we helped a customer structure actually a buy out of a business, and then we ended up going to another bank and got the deal done, which we would have loved to have done it. But as I was having conversations with one of my colleagues, if nothing else, we may have helped him get a better deal somewhere else. And to me, that's a win. 
Yeah. Uh, that's a win because we, one, we educated him, we enabled him to actually think about how to access better form of credit. But then um, I have no doubt that he'll come back to us in the future. What do you think the key is to enable your people at the front line to do that and feel empowered to help, even though it might not generate to being a customer, but you're showing up as your best self every day? Yeah, that's a great question. We So I'll answer it candidly. We struggle with that partially because most banks make money by making loans or providing financial services that cost money. And if you take your time and you encourage your frontline bankers to spend six months working with a borrower that may, may never borrow or may never establish a relationship, and you actually incentivize them to deliver value, to deliver revenue, to drive revenue, their natural inclination would will be to immediately go to their default, which is they're judging every situation and every customer, is this customer going to lead to the ultimate goal, which is to generate revenue? Yeah. And so the disparities that we see in the banking system today are largely a reflection of those judgment calls that the frontline bankers frequently have to make. And so what our goal at our bank is to break that expectation that's how we behave and i think we've been very successful doing so so one of the things we're doing for example we don't incentivize our lenders our frontline bankers just to produce volume of dollars we actually incentivize them to produce volume of stories good stories so we're looking at number of deals not just a dollar volume so you're encode those values in your performance management plan you encode them in your core values in the way you're enforced in the way celebrated and so if you were on our if you were on our Monday morning all team call, you would hear great stories about our team members actually helping a customer. And we don't necessarily talk about, hey, this is the largest deal we've done, but we're talking about this is the most meaningful deal that we've done. Amazing. Amazing. I really like that. And how do you how do you recognize when someone is doing something good within the company? Do you have a do you have a way that you do that? We're a very nascent in our effort to truly build that culture the way it should be. I mentioned the performance management system, the performance management plan that we're operating under. We are very intentional. We're following some of the principles from uh, Gino Wickman's traction book, the level 10, the entrepreneurial operating system, which starts with setting your three-year picture, one-year goals, quarterly rocks, and reinforcing that. So that's part of our performance management plan is to incorporate some of those practices. We're also starting to do a lot more intentional celebration of those stories, like I mentioned on our Monday calls, recognize someone who is living our core values. And so we try to lift that up, recognize it, reward it, give them a little gift card, give them a little celebration, give them a little recognition in front of the whole team. Just really lift up those stories that make us proud of our mission. But yeah. Recognize that we're truly living our mission. Great. What do you think it means to be a customer-centered company today? And how do you think it's been changing in the last two, three years? I'll have to put that in a context of, of a bank. Yeah. Right? In a bank. And, and so who are the customers? And so let me start by defining who our customers are. Our customers are our communities. Our customers are our internal customers. Our customers are our, our shareholders and those that we serve because we intend to serve all of them. So the way I typically define customers for us is more of a, who are the key stakeholders because we need to serve all of them. And from a management theory, the role of management is to allocate resources to all those stakeholder groups to balance all of their needs. 
And so part of our mission of our bank is to close the racial wealth gap. That's the heart of our mission. And the way we intend to close the racial wealth gap is by assisting or helping our customers get on the wealth building journey, creating wealth for our shareholders. We have 250 shareholders and vast majority of them are African-American. Also for our employees, right? So we wanna make sure we serve our employees. As the bank has grown, we started, we're starting to provide a lot more benefits, both on the health insurance and vision dental, things that we couldn't offer when the bank was small and struggling. Also 401k matching, things like that many larger corporations takes for granted, but they're part of that wealth building ministry that we want to be part of we also offer our we also offer our employees a down payment assistance if they're buying their first time home or primary residence even if they're if it's not their first time so we're trying to truly live the core values of the bank through all of our stakeholder groups and to me that's what it means to be a customer-centric organization first define who your customers are who do you really serve and in our cases all those stakeholders and then how can we meet, how can we meaningfully impact their life? And the last thing I'll say, not to contradict myself, we are a mission-driven bank. We want to intentionally help close the gaps that exist in our communities, primarily the racial wealth gap, but there are other gaps that we can close. But we're not trying to serve everyone. So that's a struggle for us sometimes. We have some customers who we are a perfect fit for them. We're their only bank, but there are other customers who we only provide part of their financial well-being. And so we also need to be humble enough to recognize that the old community bank model is broken and is disappearing, frankly, across, across America. So what is our value add to that customer? If we're going to truly focus on that customer, we need to understand that we're not going to be everything to that customer. Maybe we only fit part of their needs. And we could be maybe, sometimes it's sad, but we could be only one or two stops on their financial wealth wellness journey then they move may move on to some something else we hope they don't but if we're not the best fit sometimes we even tell a customer if we're not the best fit for you so i think to me being a customer centric organization is to understand the needs of the customers understand who the customers are and then recognize that our goal is to help that customer sometimes that doesn't mean helping the bank in the process yeah and do you have any mental models or mindset with or tools within the bank that you use to drive a customer center approach for your business? Part of that right now, we're in a fast growing uh, mode. So a lot of it is just role. It's almost role play. It's modeling, right? So yeah. it's just having those conversations in our, on our loan pipeline meetings. Sometimes it is reminding our team that, yeah, that deal, we may not have made it happen for that customer. We couldn't do it, but we still help them out. So the key model for us right now, we don't have a formal, we're not large enough to have lots of formal training programs, lots of formal sort of pathways to, to educate. So a lot of that is, is on the job training. It's role-playing or modeling that behavior for our bankers and then for the management team to reinforce it and say, you know what, it's okay to do this, or it's okay for you to spend 40 hours on a customer just to help them understand uh, how to improve their credit, even if they never become a viable borrower for the bank, it's okay to do that because that's part of our core mission. That's part of our value proposition to the community. So one thing I'm doing personally, I try to be very intentional about, I take, try to take one hour a week to do that with a customer. Mm. And frequently I don't tell anyone, no one knows. It's just someone calls me and I happen to take the call 
And then I will be very intentional about spending time. And I usually get more out of it than the customer does because I learned their story. I understand their pain points. Or it could be someone literally knocking on my window at, at on Main Street and after hours and they need help and me just listening to their story. And sometimes I end up talking with them for an hour or more and help them understand their financial situation and help them figure out how to close the gap. So part of my own personal journey is to be very intentional about doing things that may not make economic sense in the immediate term, yeah, but help lead to other things in the future and help, help also reinforce the core values that we should be living, not just at the bank, but could be after hours and on the weekends and interactions in the community. Yeah, that's great. And that's also really keeping you connected to the customers and making sure that you're up to date to their needs and, and what they want to get out from you as well. Yeah, exactly. Yep. When it comes to delivering great customer experience, how do you think that manifests itself on the habits and the culture of the business? So the first part of that journey, if I can go back, I want to make sure I'm answering the right question yeah. the right way. But let me start with a problem. Right? Let me start with a problem that we're having just candidly. So one of the problems we have as a mission-driven bank and as a bank that's known in our community that be, is being mission-driven is that folks from the community call us for all kinds of help. And they expect us to be a very small, accessible bank. And that's really hard for us to do. One of the challenges we have is just being responsive to our customers' needs. And then in our case, we have a very diverse customer base. We have customers that have $4.88 in their account. And we have customers that have $40 million in their account. And so how do you provide customer experience to that person that has the $4? Not just how you pay for it. We know we've already given up on that, right? We know we're not going to pay for it. It's just part of our community service. How do we instill that in our processes that every call gets answered? It gets answered timely and the, and the person receives good service. So again, I talked about the modeling, how we talk about those stories, what happens, but we've also created a position, just basically someone to be a customer service, which I know larger banks have huge teams. But in our case, we're still a small bank, but because of that commitment to making sure every call gets answered and we don't keep hearing that, hey, I've tried to reach you guys and I, I need help. I need to be able to reach you. So we created a full-time position focused on that. We also, one of the other things we did is we converted our antiquated phone system to a virtual phone system. So we're, we can now track drop calls, unanswered calls. We know if someone's trying to reach us and we didn't do a good job responding back to them, we know, we have the numbers, we have the stats, and it's not to be punitive and then follow up with the individual employee. It's to understand where are the bottlenecks in our service. So part of what we're trying to do is improve the customer experience where everyone feels like that $40 million customer, not yeah. just the person with $4. And that's really, that's hard to do, but that's what we aspire to do. And I will say candidly, we're not, we haven't figured it out yet how to do that. Yeah, right. So there's still some work to do there. Absolutely. Talking about the people, your employees at the bank, when you hire them, how do you make sure that they are fit for, for the vision of the company? We have historically not done a very good job on that, but we are, we're doing much better now, I think, with a lot of that. So everything starts with just even 
putting the core values on our job descriptions, just reinforcing that. Hey, these are the core values that you're expected to manifest when you join our team. The other thing we do almost accidentally, you know, our mission statement and the description of our mission is at the top of every job description, every posting, and especially those interviews that I'm involved in. That's really my role when I do the interview is not to talk about the technical skills, but it's to assess the mission fit or, or do they have a mission fit? And so one of the things as the organization has grown larger, we have a little bit more luxury to bring folks in that may not have the purely just a technical banking experience, although that's key, but we have an opportunity, I call it luxury, we have luxury to bring people because of their mission and the values alignment and their intellect and their drive and their, the fact that they're inspired by our mission. The banking stuff will come later. And so that's the biggest shift I've seen in our organization where we're now able to start hiring people and recruit people and hopefully retain people because they're inspired by our mission. They're inspired by the fact that we're not just a bank. Yeah. And what do you think are one of the most important attribution for a great frontline employee? We have several, I would say, rock stars that just display that every day that are just, yeah. And in fact, all of our team members are engaged. So I like to talk about every person at our bank is a customer facing person in a way, right? Because they're interacting with our customers, which includes our communities, our shareholders, our other employees. So being internally focused to yeah, understanding that Allison is my customer. I'm serving her every day. She needs something from me. I'll do my best to make sure I take care of her needs and vice versa. And so we have several fantastic examples of that recently. Last week alone, we hosted a we try to host a community events. So one of our beliefs is a bank should be truly a wealth building ministries for their community. And so we use our main street office as a community center. Every week we would host an event for hundred people or more. We would try to do financial empowerment, financial education series, small business gatherings, and all of our customers can use the space for free. Any customer that wants to host an event, we will consider pending availability. So Last week, we hosted an event that celebrated the neighborhood awards and said so they celebrated small businesses that are making tremendous impact in the local communities. And we had our entire team stay here till nine or 10 o'clock at night, provide service to the community, interact. And the most wonderful moment of that whole experience for me is when I asked all the team members to come up and join at the front when we were recognizing some of the community leaders in the room and the entire team was standing there and folks sporadically in the crowd started recognizing various of our team members. There's Jessica who helped me out with this. There's Hammond who put me in business. Okay, there's Dom who took my call in the middle of the pandemic when no one would do my PPP loan. Okay, there it was an amazing, just impromptu employee recognition. And frankly, some of the stories I didn't even know. So what that whole event turned into, to, to my great pleasure and surprise, is it's an employee celebration almost. So people in the room, when I asked in the room, looked around and asked who is doing business with us, half of the room raised their hands. And so there were customers that we literally put in business that they would not be in business today if we had not stepped up. And some of those customers were speaking and started to tell their stories to the whole crowd. So to me, that's a, that's a real joy to see that our team members are being so appreciated and recognized for the amazing work they do in the community by the community 
um, not by advertising, not us taking us billboards or putting up stories of our employees, but have the customers impromptu without us asking them, come and tell the story and say, you know what, Jessica helped put me in business. Amazing. What a reward for all your employees. That's some of the best recognitions you can probably get is from hearing it from the customer. It was wonderful. Amazing. Great. So I just have one last question for you. And that is, if a company wants to create a better experience for the customer, what do you think is one simple thing they can do and start with today? Start with their employees. Definitely start with their employees. Yeah, I think I learned this when I ran programs for Fortune 500 companies, their rewards and recognition programs. I found out that if the employees were disgruntled and unhappy and mismanaged, that became so evident on the front line. That just became evident. And that's that became the reputation and the feeling about the company. As our bank tries to reach a new platform and tries to reach a new new level, new tier, before we do that, what we've done over the last few months, we started to focus actually more internally than externally because of that. Because yeah. we knew we were not ready to, we were not ready for the prime time, if you would until we build the internal capacity. And I would say we're still very early on that beginning of the journey, but to your question, to me, without hesitation, deserves an answer that we should focus internally on our employees, make sure they're not just taken care of and have the support they need, but also are empowered to grow, are empowered to make decisions, are empowered to, to push and speak up and move the organization forward. And that's, I would say, we're starting that very intentionally and increasingly right now. Amazing. Great. That was all the questions that I had, Dominic. Thank, Thank you, you so, much. so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Frontline Magic Podcast with your host, Suzanne Axelsson. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or via email on Suzanne at frontlinemagic.org if you have any feedback or thoughts that you would like to share on this episode. Frontline Magic provides you with tools, insights, and inspirational stories that you need to delight every customer experience every day. You can sign up for free or learn more on frontlinemagic.org. And thanks for making Frontline work awesome.